Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I think Putin is being bled, and he will be bled for years, and it will take years. Maybe the oligarchs who are making as much money will hurt. Maybe the Russian people will rise up. I think, for me, Ukraine is a done deal. It's flattened, and they lost. But the next story, I think, is Russia. The Russian people are going to rise up and throw this guy out. That wow. is really interesting. So that's Steve Harrigan of Fox News, who's been in Ukraine, if you've been following his reports, and his, was back in the United States in the studio, his belief that his Ukraine is lost. You know, I've, I've heard that from some people, that, look, it's just, it's just a matter of time. Sure. It's happening before your eyes. Russia is strangling these cities. Many, many people are going to die. Many, many buildings are going to be... Uh, destroyed, already have been, and uh, and nobody's stopping it. So then it's just how does it play out from here? We all we all don't want that to be true. I don't want it to be true. I hate even saying the words because I don't want it to be true. But that that's certainly the direction it's going right now. Yeah, Ukraine has or will soon f- cease to function as an independent nation. It will become an occupied territory with a, from the Russian perspective, terrifyingly bloody and expensive insurgency. That's That's been pretty clear from the beginning, uh, that that's where it almost had to go. And it's sickening, but uh, you have to deal with it. The Russians abducted one mayor over the weekend, two mayors actually, but one is on video where they put a bag over his head and he disappeared. And whether he's dead or being tortured or... Uh being held or whatever, and then Putin installed an, another puppet mayor to run the town, who apparently is not getting a very good reception from the local people there. I have a feeling he or she, it's a she actually, isn't it? Uh, is going to get about a, a forty-five caliber uh, 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 greeting at some point, as soon as possible. A U.S. journalist and photographer killed in Ukraine over the weekend? Yeah, I, I'm amazed every time I watch these some of these reporters. I was watching Richard Engel on NBC News today talking about he's standing in Kiev and talking about how bombs fall indiscriminately. Okay, how about on you? But, you know, mm-hmm. they're doing brave work. Um, the U.S. announced, oh, so uh, over the weekend, Putin hit within 10 miles of Poland. Hit a military base within 10 miles of Poland. And if you look at the map, it's clear on the other side of Ukraine away from the Russian border. That's a long trip. From Russia, I mean, Ukraine's the size of Texas. So it's like from New Orleans to New Mexico, far away. And uh, they hit that military base within 10 miles of Poland, and it was announced over the weekend that the United States announced the full force of NATO would respond if Russia hits Poland. Well, I came pretty damn close. Well, and I believe Jake Sullivan said even if it's an accident. Yeah, Anybody anybody disturbs so much as an anthill on Polish soil, you get the full force of NATO, Article 5, jammed up your hiney. Ukraine is in full war mode, as you would expect. Almost all of their plants that made anything are now making weapons or goods to try to survive the onslaught. Moscow's stock market opens the week closed, <laughs> again, for the third week <laughs> in a row, because um, they have to be. Um. Oh, and Biden, so uh, chemical weapons may have been used. There's some reports of that. 
Putin put out the word that he thinks the Ukrainians are going to use chemical weapons all along. That has been a tell that he's about to do something because then he's trying to blame it on somebody else. And Joe Biden said on Friday, if Russia uses chemical weapons, they would pay a severe price. I have no idea what that could be, given the fact that we're not willing to put any troops in or establish a no-fly zone and sanctions are about turned up to 11 already so i don't know what a severe price would be from what we're doing now i just i don't know either i'm bothered by hollow words don't make claims you can't back up we know how that works right i would agree i'm really intrigued by the fact that the stock market is closed now for the third week in a row uh, because that that, what's causing that is obvious it would plunge down to nothing if they were to open it, right? Well, the oligarchs and and stakeholders in Russia know that. And as long as that is the case, they've got to keep the market closed. And as long as that is the case, all of those uh, stakeholders are really uncomfortable and really unhappy. And I don't see where Putin gets any relief. He miscalculated badly on the, the strength and unity of Western sanctions, really of global sanctions, with the exception of your usual rogues gallery of countries, uh, the governmental and non-governmental sanctions. So how does he squirm out of the spot he's in? So President Biden says there would be severe... Let me look that up again. I want to make sure I get the words exactly right. Severe price to pay for Russia if they use chemical weapons. The president of Poland who's come within 10 miles of having his country attacked by Russia, said yesterday the use of weapons of mass destruction would be a game changer for NATO. So that sounds like to me that one of the lead members of NATO is saying NATO would get involved. Well, I don't know. Severe consequences and game changer. That sounds like, I don't know, sounds like talk radio rhetoric. Uh, Well, like I said, I'm uncomfortable with making all kinds of strong talk if you've got no way to back it up. Because Putin is not going to fall for that. No, no, indeed. No, he's the ultimate poker player. He's ready to lay his hand down, I think. Um, Speaking of strong words, uh, this is one of the most eloquent things I've read. I thought I'd send it to myself, but I'm going to paraphrase. It was a tweet uh, from from some blue checkmark uh, international relations person. They said, those of you making the argument that... NATO's activities were making Putin uncomfortable, and you've got to see it from Putin's point of view. What? How do you think Putin's clear expansionism was making the countries feel who suffered under the boot heel of Soviet oppression for 70 years? Those countries that were oppressed, beaten, starved, etc., denied their, their nationhood by the Soviet Union, and finally got free. Poland, the the, the uh, Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, Moldova, all those little countries, all of the former Soviet republics who endured horrors under Stalin, for instance, all of a sudden there's a new Stalin. How comfortable do you think they were with that? How, how cruelly do you think they were begging NATO, hey, the Russian bear is starting to stir. Can you help us, please? Don't, don't make this out that poor little Putin was sitting there just minding his own business and making those interlocking Russian dolls and, and trying to keep the sturgeon safe for caviar season when he was up to all sorts of evil. And then something I know you want to talk about, the defense editor for The Economist tweeted out yesterday, here's a real test for the whole Russia-China friendship. 
Russia has asked China for military equipment to support its invasion of Ukraine, according to U.S. officials. And the U.S. has warned China that they best not help Russia. Once again, is that a threat we're willing to back up with any sort of teeth at all whatsoever? Jake Sullivan, who is the current national security advisor, said we are communicating directly, privately, to Beijing, China, that there will be absolute consequences for large-scale sanctions uh, evasion efforts if you try to help Russia. We will not I, allow that to go forward. I think that's legit. I think we have a lot of levers we can use on China. Some of them so. might be a little painful here on the home front, but yeah, absolutely. Trade primarily and, and tariffs and, and various sanctions. can The whole, you know, if, if uh, I would say something like, you know, there's a movement in our country to decouple from y'all economically, which would hurt you bad. Uh, we're either going to soft pedal that and slow it down, or we're going to forge straight ahead. Which one's it going to be? Sure. Do you want our trade, or do you want to help Putin on his idiotic suicide mission? And they will use that sort of verbiage, because Xi Jinping is evil, but he's not a fool. He's a communist, which is a certain kind of idiot. But anyway, uh, he's <laughs> he's, a, he's a practical man. He's just misguided about communism. But um, he knows Putin has misstepped Badly. Well, you would think he would recognize. So I'm looking at this new poll that's just out. Fewer Americans see Russia favorably than ever before. He doesn't want America. Eventually, we're all going to turn on China. If you're smart, you already have the Chinese government. Um, but as a country, and uh, he doesn't want those kind of numbers because then all those companies pull out of China. It gets as unfavorable about China as it is about Russia. There's going to mm-hmm. be a real movement for the NBA and Apple and everybody else to get out the same way as just happened with Russia over the last several weeks. Surely he doesn't want that. So a lot of folks, including me, have wondered, can China actually bail out the Russian economy enough that what the rest of the world is doing won't be effective? I've got a really good answer for you. Read some great analysis. I'll share that with you in moments. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Producers for this year's Oscars announced that presenters will include John Travolta and Lupita Nyong'o, or as Travolta calls her, the wickedly talented Lucretia Barnabas. (laughs) Wow. One of the weirdest things ever, that whole story. Um, When are the freaking Oscars finally? Will they happen so I quit hearing about it? I I will not dignify that question with a response. I don't know. I don't know when they are either. Hey, I turned off weekend. March 27th, says Alex. I'll put that on my calendar. Great. Super. Um, I I turned off weekend update. I couldn't take it. It was so, so partisan and nasty. Those jokes were kind of funny. I wish I'd stuck with it. Mm. But, uh, yeah. So, I don't know if you're as into this stuff as we are, but Russia getting sanctioned just like crazy. They got this new buddy-buddy agreement with China, right? And the idea is, well, that's clearly their lifeline economically after they invade Ukraine and piss off the rest of the the known universe. Well, the great uh, analysis of whether that's going to work, really, John Gustafson in the dispatch, and he points out where um, there are several reasons why China won't save Russia's economy. First, the supply chain thing, and I hadn't really thought this through. 
If there's one thing we've all learned during the past year, higher and higher inflation, it's that supply chains are quite inflexible and prone to bottlenecks, even in the modern world, especially when there are sudden changes in demand. Now, imagine now that instead of shipping all of their exports and imports to and from Europe, as Russia does, and half of Russia's in Europe, they now have to ship them to and from China, a country that, for reference, is 4,500 miles away from Germany. So just logistically, trade becomes much more difficult. Um, with the uh, and and with no foresight whatsoever, with the pandemic-related supply chain issues, there were months of warnings. But this uh, shutoff of the Russian economy happened very quickly, so they have no they had no time to get it in place anyway. So if they ever get it straight, it's going to take a while. Plus, Russia's exports are uniquely badly suited for a change in destination. Russia does not export a lot of services. In fact, services are less than 15% of Russia's exports. Instead, Russia's exports are mainly oil, natural gas, and petroleum. And this is what makes the already gargantuan supply chain issue virtually insurmountable. Oil and gas are transported through pipelines. There are no spare pipelines running from Russia to China just lying there waiting to be used in case Russia ever found itself unable to trade with Europe. Interesting. That's funny. I had heard over and over again that... No, 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 no. We cut off Russian oil. They'll just sell it to China. We'll make a blip of difference. Okay. Apparently, we'll make a blip. Oh, yeah, yeah, huge. And to make matters worse, 80% of Russia's population lives in the European part of Russia. There are simply not that many people available who could transport the oil and petroleum in the sparsely populated regions that are closer to China. In short, while Russia may be able to sell a bit more oil and gas to China, it won't even come close, nor near uh, offsetting the export loss uh, to North America and Europe. Wow, that is exactly the opposite of what I've heard from other punditry. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, Third issue, even assuming the supply chain issues could somehow be resolved, and they can't, the average Chinese person doesn't have enough money to make up for Western consumers. The average salary in China is estimated at the equivalent of about $13,000 a year. Well, I just, just, my my basic thought on the whole thing was, how could it not be damaging to russia if the number one energy user in the world stops buying from the number three energy producer in the world right right absolutely Uh, so while it's true there are more people in china than in europe and north america combined chinese consumers lack the spending power of their first world counterparts and unlike europe natural gas isn't a main source of heating in china the government's working toward it being a bigger source but it's not they still burn a hell of a lot of coal Fourth, the incredibly complicated history of Russia and China. As I've been saying from the day this agreement dawned, wow, that is a weird frenemies getting together temporarily, you know, relationship. And you could tell they absolutely, you know, pasted and duct taped this agreement together. And, you know, we could go into the history of it, but China and Russia have been at each other's throats as much as they've been cooperating in the last century or so. And then finally, and this is a good point, Russia has no leverage. Russia's been effectively isolated economically with only a couple of major countries it can still trade with. China's aware of this and will almost certainly increase their imports of Russian goods and services. Only now they'll pay a fraction of what the West was paying as of just a couple of months ago. Um, what's Russia going to do about it? They that's, have no hand, as the, Seinfeld put it. That's the other part I thought of. The, the, the people that were making the argument, this is going to make any difference. All we're going to do is raise our own gas prices. China's going to buy the oil from 
from Russia. And I thought, well, why wouldn't they pay him half as much? Because they don't have any choice. Well, and that's logic, and that's good, solid logic, but you don't even need to rely on logic. China's done this before. When Iran and Venezuela were sanctioned, China swooped in to import vast quantities of oil from them, but at bargain prices. They beat the hell out of them on price. So you add it all together. I mean, China's got an aspirin tablet for the severed leg of the, uh, the Russian economy. Um, and it's just, it's not going to amount to much. So Putin's back there in his cage now. Again, never mind the China trade thing. It's not going to help much. How does Putin react to all of the stakeholders in the Russian government? The real power, the, 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 the upper class, the oligarchs, um, uh, the military. Can he keep them on campus as the economy's in such dire straits, they can't even open the stock market for an hour. How long does that last? Do you figure the oligarchs are walking around the Kremlin saying to Putin, uh, yeah, I was going to go yachting this weekend, but I guess uh, that's, that's off the table, so uh, I don't really have any plans. I mean, dropping hints or what? I was going to fly to London and see my mistress, but I guess I'll, uh, I guess I'll skip that. Yeah, maybe I'll do something else. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no have, yachting, no shopping. Mm-hmm. I have breaking Dolly Parton news. I might have to get to that later in the hour. Is she okay? She's okay. She's not dead. I would go. Yeah, I wouldn't. Lovely gal. Mm. Um, Mike Lyons with some strong opinions on the idea of a no-fly zone, even though the wind is blowing that direction. If you watched the Sunday shows yesterday, stay tuned for that. Coming up, if you miss an hour, get the podcast armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Well, it started out. I think it deserves serious consideration. I think we need to look at the gamut of options that are out there for us. We need to calculate the risk and be smart about it. Mm-hmm. I think you have to, at that point, consider uh, a no-fly zone. I think is a pretty logical next step, but I'll give you a halfway house. Mm-hmm. That would be going back to the idea of getting fighters in the hands of the Ukrainians. And I get all the puts and takes of that. So you want Ukraine to do the no-fly zone? They would basically be the ones to do it, not exactly. NATO. Is that, is that the goal in this, in it this is. case? So that's Admiral James Stravidis, uh, who is on also with a former ambassador. And they both were for a no-fly zone, and the Admiral's take, I saw him on MSNBC today, he said, my take from looking at the talk shows over the weekend and uh, statements out of the White House is that everything is now on the table. So, as I was saying last week, I feel like at least the 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 mood, the, the weight of the conversation is moving toward a no-fly zone. Now, Mike Lyons did tweet out yesterday it would invite even a small nuclear response, possibly on the homeland from Russia, which is a big deal. Hello. Well, speaking of Mike Lyons, military analyst Mike Lyons, a West Point graduate, served with various American military organizations, both on the home front and in Europe and in uh, Iraq through his career, joins us now. Mike Lyons, how are you, sir? Good morning, guys. It's to me, amazing to me. If, you know, I don't want to go against the four-star general, obviously, but the four-star making that kind of comment is almost irresponsible in terms of what all the nuance that has to go in. Did he kind of then say, 
oh, it's because the Ukrainians are going to do the no-fly zone? Do you think they would do that now if they could? 29 MiG airplanes are not changing the calculus on that. I'm just surprised that uh, we're, that's being floated politically still on any level here. That is completely off the table, unless we want to risk having an attack on our homeland or attack in a European city or something, because that's really what it would lead to. Well, so I was a little concerned over the weekend... Um... Modern journalism being what it is in the 24-hour news cycle and everything like that. Is this a bad idea that we're nailing so many things down? Um, and maybe all this talk of the no-fly zone is just to have it out there so Putin thinks it, it's possibly on the table. Because this constantly taking everything, a bunch of things off the table to satisfy Chuck Todd and meet the press or whoever, I'm yeah. not sure that's doing us any good. Right, and, and that's there's an argument to that, but I don't think he is of that ilk. He has his own agenda and doesn't necessarily look at what's he, – he sees what's done and not what we're doing as opposed to what we're not doing. I, I understand how that you could uh, be swayed by that, but that's not the kind of enemy we're dealing with. That, that's, again, we're projecting our values on our own way and trying to psychoanalyze our behavior. You're right. The Biden administration is putting all these things that are out there that we're not doing. But, but the bottom line is we aren't doing them. We're not going to do them, and it, so, so it's fine. And in some ways, he knows that he, Vladimir Putin does control the, this whole thing because he's the one who invaded. When I hear Mitt Romney say things like, "We've got to, you know, turn the tide on him, and we've got to get back in control," no, 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 no. There's no us controlling. This is his war. This is this regional conflict that exists there. You want to insert yourself in it? You want to go to war with a nuclear power? Then, then let's have that conversation and see where that leads us to. So again, th- this is not about trying to gain some kind of upper hand with him. We're not in this conflict. We really aren't, other than supporting Ukraine like we are, pouring ammunition in, pouring supplies in. That's really all we can do. And you, your tweet was, so you think Putin would actually strike the United States with a nuclear weapon? I think it's possible. I, I think that we have to consider it. I mean, and it's not it, its not going to be something that's going to come from the Ural Mountains. It's going to travel across space. You know, we're going to have time to think about it. He's going to take a submarine. He's going to get it close to he's going to get it close to our shores. He's going to launch a, a weapon. He's going to launch something that could hit our our homeland. I don't see I don't see if if we decide to put in a no fly zone and take a Patriot missile and fire it from Poland, fire it from a NATO country, and it chases down a MiG, Soviet MiG plane over Russia and, and kills a Russian pilot over Russia, I don't see how he's not responding. I don't see, I don't see what he's, what he's got to respond. I don't Holy see crap, this is a conversation. Well, yeah, indeed it is. And, and, you know, Mike, these are extremely difficult questions, and only hindsight is twenty twenty in these matters. Right. But uh, right. if, if we are to preclude to eliminate any action that might provoke putin to do the things you've said well that mm-hmm. brings the conversation all right what if there is an accidental strike in poland what if he uh you know yeah there are there are a number of what ifs at some point i think we need to be willing to do things that might provoke a horrific cataclysmic reaction or we're paralyzed I'm not sure where that is or what that is. I think he has to do that first. So, for example, what happened over the weekend, the interdiction strike deep in western Ukraine, that was a huge risk for them because they had to do that with pilots. They don't have cruise missiles that have enough accuracy, believe it or not, that can hit a target that could be 16 miles within a Polish border, within a NATO border. So so he put men at risk in order to do that mission. Why? He knew it was important. I'm surprised he didn't do it, did it before. But he knew that he couldn't make a mistake on it either. He knew he couldn't just fire a bunch of cruise missiles at it and, and have them possibly miss and strike Poland because then 
then possibly then we could respond and do something. Because, because if we enter this battle conventionally, if we decide to come in and we, we have A-10s lined up someplace and B, B-52s, that convoy, for example, that 40-mile convoy is done in four hours. I mean, it's molten r- rubbish in four hours. The, t- the balance of power gets tipped so quickly back on the side of Ukraine that the, the, the level of embarrassment that Vladimir Putin suffers is amazing. So, so again, he's cognizant of the fact that he doesn't want to bring us in. The red line, everyone talks about the red line. The red line is the border. That's the bottom line. There's no chemicals. There's no nuclear. The red line is the Ukraine border. As long as that's not violated, there's not much we can do, I think, at least offensively in order to stop them. And then, of course, if we are, uh, for instance, we take out that convoy and he gets that on the news in Russia, then all of a sudden the public opinion swings toward him as he gets to say he's at war with the, the evil United States. Right. So the 140 million people right now who are confused about what's going on are no longer confused because now NATO has attacked Russia, attacked the motherland. They start the music up. They start all those old videos up about the Great War. Here we go. And at the end of the day, Russia has capacity. They, they do have uh, things that they can do. They have those nuclear weapons. They have, they have a lot of different capacity. Now, their military has failed miserably. No question about it. The fact that they, you know, Ukraine is not even close to being a peer competitor with them, but the fact that they've have had this standoff for now, which is every day that goes by, Ukraine actually gets stronger. Standoff gets more. I, I'm now going to start to be worried about, you know, the 2,500 Stinger missiles that are inside there. Uh, let's hope they don't find their way back to shores. We'll hopefully have some accountability about those because those weapons can find their way outside of Ukraine into the hands of other people. So there is a downside also of putting a lot of this material into the Ukraine military and making sure that they use it. Military analyst Mike Lyons on the line. Mike, I know you're a student not only of military strategy, but society, too. It is going to be difficult to contain the passions of the Western world when the videos start to emerge from, say, Mariupol or, uh, or, or Kiev when it finally falls, of literally starving children and, and yeah. scenes of, of horror and carnage. And, and boy, right. man, or you maybe factor that. Or in. maybe Zelensky on his knees somewhere. No, I, again, and we need to get him out of there. He's got to survive this. I, I still think that the Israeli prime minister, when he went there a few weeks ago, I think he whispered in his ear, he said, look, it's not going to be a good look if you assassinate a Jewish head of state. We're not going to look fondly upon that. Um, and we need to get the Chinese in the game. I know, I think we're meeting with them this afternoon in Rome. But basically sell them, you better get your tech dog on a leash here and you better figure this out because we're going to start sanctioning you. We've got to get tougher. We have to show power in places like that about with the Chinese and other influences Russia can. I mean, Russia asking the Chinese for military and logistical supplies, uh, uh, is that a serious request and, and the Chinese are actually going to consider it. So, so again, th- that's, they're not even a superpower anymore if that, if that is the case. So that's where this is going to, if we're going to be in on this, so does the Chinese and the Chinese need to get the Russians on the leash pretty quick. So I was watching David Martin on CBS news yesterday. He said, uh, Russia in the next couple of weeks is going to have to resupply either people or equipment or something. I mean, cause they mm-hmm. didn't expect this to last that long. Does that sound right. accurate to you? Yeah, there's no second echelon here. Normally, Russian doctrine deploys in multiple waves, um, and they have different groups that come on and kind of pass through. And, and they, but this wasn't the, the plan here. This was a special operations group. So, for example, they're eventually they're running out of ammo. They're running out of artillery in these cities, and and that, those were those the ammo that's on those convoys, and there's a lot of things that are in there. They're all running out, so they can't even feed their soldiers. Every day, you see these stories 
of the Russian tanks being blown up and the farmers taking them and they're abandoning their troops. It, it is it is mind-boggling to me that they haven't thought any of this through. So, again, and the, the Ukrainians live to survive one day at a time right now. If, if they can, can continue to take the pounding and they fight this to a standstill, they, they end up winning. That's exactly where I was going to go. Say uh, the major cities fall and uh, Zelensky either heads out of town or is killed or what have you. What does the Russian occupation of Ukraine look like in terms of numbers of forces, the cost, etc.? Yeah, not very long. You thought Afghanistan was bad, and you thought some of those other things were bad. I and again, given the fact that the they won't be able to secure the border, that the the, the, the guerrilla mass would mean, let's say, twenty million men remaining in Ukraine because you know the women are out and children are out, a lot of people are out. Let's say, so so the the, the guerrilla math is anywhere from one to two million soldiers that the Russians would need inside inside of Ukraine only in order to try to pacify that. Not, they don't have those, they don't have those kind of resources. So, so again, there will be entire groups formed in the western part of Ukraine that will come in and launch massive attacks on Russian soldiers. You know, there won't be a, a Russian officer safe in any city in, in Ukraine. For, they won't have a cup of tea thinking they'll be uh, poisoned. They won't be able to turn a light switch on thinking they're going to get blown up. They won't be able to turn the ignition on a car thinking it's not going to get blown up. That's the kind of level of insurgency that's going to take place because the whole world is going to help with them, help with them too as well. Yeah, I was going to mention that. So I saw a report last night on how there are soldiers coming in from all over the world, Americans, Canadians, Australians, Brits, that have fought in wars, they're, they're you know seasoned soldiers that are going to Ukraine to fight. Are we going to be able to continue to get weapons into their hands throughout this? Yeah, so, so again, they're going to try to interdict those supply convoys. I think they're going to enter the border with them in hand, but they're eventually going to we need to be resupplied as well. I, I'm not necessarily a fan of that because we see that the Russians are bringing in Syrians, and, and whether or not that's also a story we, remains to be seen. Uh, the fact that Syrian fighters are going to come in and help this again. Br- good luck bringing those guys into that country and not being identified as Syrian fighters and how the people will react to that as well. Um, so this is just because becoming a mess and it's because the Russians just are unable on any level to control it and it's gotten it gets more out of hand for them every day and it's and it's completely outside of their the kind of space that they thought they were going to be in this now they thought at this point this would be over and done controlled and they'd be on to the next thing uh, and they're now you know completely in, in a situation where I, I don't I don't see the off-ramp for them right now great analysis Mike Lyons we can't uh, properly express our appreciation great stuff thank you great guys thanks for having me Yep, absolutely. I absolutely love how Mike does not give a single crap about being in the mainstream or going with anybody's flow or anything. He just calls it as he sees it. We got to discuss some of that. Holy cow, I never thought we'd have a conversation like that. Text us 415-295-KFTC. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Like now, everything Russian is bad. Everything. I mean, we are boycotting everything. Russian vodka. Yeah. You know, Russian dressing. Can't have that. Uh, Don't even think about playing that game where you take a revolver and put one bullet in it. No, that's... It's... Don't... Don't call it that. If you're going to do it, it's called a night out with Nicolas Cage. That's what we're... So I thought Bill Maher had a really good uh, a point during his new rules thing on uh, new rules. Stop 
trying to make uh, every story about your politics, and it was everybody who's trying to jam in to the whole Russia-Ukraine thing how um, this makes it more clear that Trump was right or Biden was wrong or whatever, whatever your politics are, or the people are trying to make it about racism. As he said, uh, what was Bill Maher's line that was so good? Racism isn't avocado. It doesn't need to go on everything. <laughs> Which I thought was a good line. But, yeah, you know, well said. You know, Putin had his eye on this for his whole life. Since the Soviet Union fell, he's wanted to do this. And the immediate politics of today, whether it's the 1619 Project or the storming of the Capitol, which was used as an excuse for why he did it or whatever, um, yeah, that's, that's not it. None of these things need to be jammed into this story. You know, that's funny. I just happened to be looking at emails during the commercial break, and here's one from a guy who's evidently deaf and angry, uh, just telling us we're stupid idiots for advocating something we never have, so I'm really a bit confused. Just that 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 weird, just bitter tone of modern politics. Just, ugh, it's exhausting. Quick follow-up on our conversation with Mike Lyons from a few moments ago. I can't believe that we're having conversations with smart people in serious tones about a nuclear strike on the homeland and whether or not it's going to happen and how likely. And not in just some sort of academic, this could happen someday, theoretically. No, like this could happen this afternoon. If we do this, they'll do that. I just, it's just amazing. It's hard for me to wrap my head around. Yeah, a lot of us grew up with the Cold War, but we didn't grow up with the Cuban Missile Crisis, like, going on for weeks. Right. And um, uh, I mentioned earlier, the the latest poll is 87% of Americans are following this story, story closely. And I don't know how old you are, but unless you're over, you know... I, I was too young for the Vietnam War to really be a story I was taking in, like, you know, with adult eyes and understanding it or whatever, as a crisis of the moment or the 60s or anything like that. And similar to Watergate, so there just hasn't been anything as world-shaking as this. 9-11, but I never, I never felt like the world was going to fall apart after 9-11. Um, no, there was the ongoing threat of, of Islamist terrorism, certainly, but that's a, just it's a completely different kettle of fish from nuclear holocaust. Right. And uh, the, all the big countries going to war against each other. Mm-hmm. It's a heck of a thing, man. It's a heck of a thing. Welcome back, all of history. We've now entered Final Thoughts with your host, Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. That's so soothing. Here's your host. For final thoughts, Joe Getty. Let's get a final thought from everybody on the crew to wrap things up for the day, beginning with our technical director, Michelangelo. Michael, final thought? You know, if I didn't live so far away, with used car prices being so good and uh, gas being so high, I'd sell my car, trade it in or something, and just walk to the station, but I just can't do it. (laughs) Have you considered a donkey? Uh, Let's get a final thought from young Alex, our behind-the-scenes producer. Alex? I present to you an example of how a fool and his money are often separated quickly. A man over the weekend spent over $500,000 on Tom Brady's final touchdown ball. Oh! Two hours later, he unretired. So now it's just a bag of pigskin in air. Wow! Maybe he can sell an NFT of it and break even. Uh, Jack, do you have a final thought for us? That one had to hurt. Um, Headline... Asteroid half the size of a giraffe has struck off the coast of Iceland. And somebody tweeted that headline <laughs> with, 
This is an extraordinarily weird unit of measurement for an asteroid. <laughs> asteroid half the size of a giraffe. Thank God it wasn't the size of a full giraffe. <laughs> Who came up with that? My final thought is 3.141592535897932384624338322. Happy Pi Day, everybody. It's 3.14, the 14th of March. How did we make it through the whole show? You know why? Because Positive Sean's no longer here. He was the sort of person that would bring us that kind of information. Exactly. The fact that today is Pi Day. Pi is... uh, 22 sevenths. It's a, it's a number they figured out many, many years ago to figure out the area of a circle. And if my uh, calculations are more or less correct, I believe we are roughly seven weeks away from uh, the May the 4th be with you day. Oof, they do it. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. So many people thank so little time. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. We have our podcast there. If you missed a chunk of the show, you can get it via podcast. You can email us, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. We have some fine swag for you. I'm wearing my never-ending parade of stupid A&G t-shirt today, as you can see. Go get yourself some swag. We will see you tomorrow with whatever the news is. God bless America. Armstrong and Getty. It's it's really serious. They're locking up my toothpaste. <laughs> the devil ain't gonna win. No, no, that's not what I was told. So everybody shield. Just forget it. Okay. Okay. Sorry. So let's go out with a bang. The only way uh, Putin's pooch gets unscrewed, if you will, I've I've never heard that. Um, uh, by doing what again? I got lost by the uh, the clever phrasing. <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> On that high note, thank you all very much. Armstrong and Getty.